0: Our readings today speak of the call to follow after our blessed Lord, and really, it's meant to be the the firmness of the call to follow after Him, that whenever we come to to serve our blessed Lord, there there ought not be a, a plan B for us, a backup, a safety net, so to speak. So that if things don't work out with Jesus, we got a better plan. We got something that we ourselves can at least take care of things, an insurance policy, so to speak. Our Lord invites us to a profound trust in him, and to trust him in all things. In the gospel, we hear several accounts of individuals who either turn to our Lord or the Lord turns to them. And this, this call, is, this, this, uh, this following after is anticipated. But easily it can happen that one comes up with excuses or reasons, even good ones, not to follow after him. Sometimes the things of the, the reality of following Jesus is a scary thing. We have no place to lay our head, he says. And so these are the things that sometimes may keep us from following our Lord wholeheartedly. And yet, we are called to follow him nonetheless. Some in a particular manner, as consecrated or religious or as priests, to be able to, to go in and to give up all things in some concrete terms. But indeed, the call to follow our Lord is something that every one of us has received. Every one of us is called to give all of ourselves to God. Our response is the important thing. In the gospel, we have the sort of abstracts. We don't, we don't see the, the full story of what happens here with each of these individuals, The simply calling to mind things. But we do have a wonderful example of the response to a call from God in our first reading today. The wonderful story of Elijah being able to go forth and to select his successor, Elisha, the prophet. It's Elijah who, who going forth in these things, receives the word of the Lord to be able to to go and anoint Elisha, his successor, to be the one to follow after him, and Elijah goes, and he, and he throws his cloak over him, right? It's, a, it's kind of a saying, you know, a, a visible expression of, of what has been mine currently will be yours. I'm passing this off to you. A sort of um, kind of apprenticeship is beginning, Elisha. Get ready. Are you coming? The Lord has chosen you. And Elisha, of course, has reluctance in his heart. He's, he's kind of shocked at all these things. And he says, well, at least let me go kiss my parents Goodbye. Seems a reasonable request. Just let me say goodbye rather than just kind of disappear into the sunset. And yet, in response to this, Elijah gives an interesting response. He doesn't say yes, he doesn't say no very clearly. He just says, Have I done anything to you? In other words, the answer, the offer is presented Are you coming or not? Well, I've given you, a, 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 I've given you the contract, but you haven't signed yet. Are you in or are you out? Choose. I have not done anything that is binding upon you. The choice is yours. Yes or no? In response to this, Elisha goes, but he doesn't go back to his parents. It goes to the plow. He breaks the thing to pieces, lights it on fire, and then takes the oxen and, and slaughters them. There they feed the servants who are around. A couple of points there. One, it would have been it would have been the easy thing, a normal thing, a sensible thing, I guess, for the most of us, if whenever Elijah had said, You know, have I done anything to you? Elisha realizing okay, I need to respond, I need to say yes to this call to the Lord. It would be reasonable for him to call whoever was the second in charge and to say, Hey, I'm gonna be going with Elijah. Here are the yokes, <laughs> here are the yokes of oxen, here's the plough keep at it, see you later. That would have been sensible. But also, Elisha knows that that would have been a fallback for him too, that if being a prophet turned out to be much more difficult than he expected, and anyone who knows anything about the prophets knows that that's always the case, the prophets are never welcomed because they always bring bad news. They always call people to a higher order. They call people to something more, and our human flesh doesn't always like it. So the prophets usually get a bad lot. That's why Jesus tells us (laughs) they're usually killed. And so Elisha could have simply allowed those things to remain, entrusted to someone else, so that if things didn't work out being the prophet, he could come back. He would still have everything. Everything would be there, ready to go, ready and waiting. But he doesn't. He burns it, and he kills it. The whole thing. And to be able to get a little perspective on that, too, is the fact that he has 12 yoke of oxen. An ox uh, a yoke is two, right? So that's 24 oxen that he's got there. This is like the Ferrari of plows. He's a rich man, in other words. It would be, it would be, it's a wonderful blessing to have one ox that you can get to, to kind of pull the plow little by little, it'd be great to have a, a pair of them that you can yoke together and you get a little, you get a little more ox power, right? But to, then you, as you're going along, he's got 12 of the things, 12 of them, a man of means. And whenever he slays them, he feeds his servants, 24 oxen, which means it's not just him and a couple of guys out in the field. It's a bunch of people because I don't know about you, but I love beef, but I can't eat half a cow. I can eat very small portion of cow, relatively speaking to the cow itself. And so to be able to consume these, these beasts that have been offered is a large number of people. It shows all of the things when Elisha the prophet slays them, whenever he burns the plows, he sets everything, he sets everything, it, it, it's gone, it's ash, it's dust, it's nothing in the end. But him doing that, recognizing just what that meant, is a powerful symbol and a powerful response. It's not just him leaving behind a few things and just kind of, you know, well, I don't have much to lose. He has a ton to lose. And he sacrifices it all. And he can't get it back. This is a deep and profound conviction that Alicia shows us that when he chooses to serve the Lord, there is no turning back. Because there's nothing to go back to. It is a yes, period. Whatever may come, Lord, I'm in. This is the deep conviction that the Lord desires of all of us. We will experience trials of faith in this life. We will experience the the, 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 confusion, of, the confusion of heart that can happen in this world. We'll experience, you know, discouragement or possibly even despair in the, in the situation which we may find ourselves at times. We may be filled with an immense amount of grief and sorrow or pain and suffering in whatever variety it may come to us. In those moments, it's easy for us to be tempted and tested to turn away or to seek to rely upon our own selves in those moments. But it's the Lord who tells us to rely upon Him, to give Him everything, not to be able to hold anything back, not to have a plan B for us. Reminded whenever I was uh, a youth, (laughs) I guess I'm still a youth in some people's eyes, when i was a teenager at least i'll say that you can't dispute me on that point when i was a teenager uh, i listened uh, i listened to a lot of music that that was not good for me to put it nicely and there came a point in my in my my journey of faith that i that i too was convicted of this call to follow after our lord not as a priest yet but just as a christian And I knew that if I was going to be a Christian, if I was going to be serious about being a Christian, there were certain things that I needed to change about my life, one of them being the music that I listened to. And so at that time, we just had CDs. We didn't have all the digital things and digital MP3s and MP4s and everything else under the sun that's out there now. You just had a disc. And so it was very easy when I was convicted that I needed to turn away from these things to turn towards the Lord. I took them and I broke them. Couldn't put them back together. I couldn't do anything. I was a relatively poor <laughs> high school student, uh, you know, so I couldn't just go out and buy all this stuff again as I pleased. That it was gone. It was it. It was a, it was a firm choice. In our world today, whenever you buy music from, from whatever music venue you do, You'll, you'll be able to download it to your phone or your computer or your iPad or your, your whatever else device that you might have. And then at some point, if you wanted to get rid of it, if you delete it from the, from the thing, you just don't care to listen to it anymore, it will ask you always a question, at least my computer does. Do you want to, take, do you want to keep the file? Do you want to keep it you know and the files on your computer just taken off the, the music player itself? In other words, if at some point in the future you really want to listen to this again, you'll still have it. You just won't be able to see it or use it most days. But if you really want it, it's here for you. It's a reminder that if I was a teenager and I was given that option, I probably would have opted to keep the files. And then in those moments of weakness of faith, probably simply gone back to the things of the world, gone back to the music that was poison for my soul. But By God's grace, I couldn't do that. In our weakness, we must turn to the Lord, and that means for us very often a firm, firm choice. Again, this is a difficulty, and very often it will be contrary even to the world's opinion of things, a worldly understanding, even a Christian and Catholic understanding. It's a challenge for us to give everything for Jesus, but to follow after him whenever he calls us. But when we do, it is fruitful. I'm reminded on this point of the life of St. Jane Francis de Chantal. St. Jane Francis was a woman of great faith in the 1600s. She married at the, at the age of 20 and soon gave birth to a son. At the ripe old age of 28, she was widowed. Her husband died in a hunting accident. And so there she was, a single mother, caring for her son, but also caring for her father and father-in-law, as well as ministering to a variety of people in the midst of the community, being able to bring food, to be charitable towards them, to assist them in times of need, to be a consolation and encouragement and support. She was a woman whose life in her community touched every single person that was there. And in the midst of all of this, the Lord God called to her, and he called her to leave it all, even her son, and to follow after him. He was calling her to found a religious community of sisters. This would be together accompanied with Francis de Sales, St. Francis de Sales, now doctor of the church. She was convicted of this in her prayer and told this to the people in the community, told this to her family, to all those who, who, that she had given so generously of herself over the years. And she told them that it was her intention to leave and to go begin this new life, that the Lord is calling her to, that it was a difficult thing. Again, you don't understand it. Her son was only 15 at the time. It seems contrary, it seems cruel in fact. Why would God ask a mother to leave behind her 15-year-old son and to go off and to form a community? And yet this is what our God was asking of her and she knew it and she said yes. As this news began to spread, people lined the streets and they began to weep and mail them and lament her leaving, and beggar, please do not go. Please don't go. We need you here. Over and again, she heard this. And as she was going forth from her house, the last one to say it was her son. And he flung himself at the door, the threshold of the house, in the way of his mother. And he said, Mom, please do not do this. And she looked at him with tears in her eyes, and she said, Son, you know that I love you. But the Lord is calling me." And she stepped over him and walked out. He was well provided for, he was entrusted to a good family, and she knew that he would be well, that the Lord would watch over him in the end. And as she said yes and endured that cross, endured that that suffering of pursuing the Lord wholeheartedly without turning back to anything, She went on to be the foundress of 65 religious houses, and she filled 65 religious houses with women religious. Together with St. Francis de Sales, they became two of the most important people in the 1600s in the church, bringing renewal and spiritual renewal all throughout Europe. In the time where the Protestant Reformation had taken and just ravaged the church and destroyed it in so many places, they went and were able to bring healing and peace and restoration. 65 houses throughout Europe were founded because she was willing to say yes and not look back. The Lord is calling each of us to himself day after day. May God grant us the grace to say yes to him, the strength to be sure in that yes, to set our eyes firmly on Christ as Christ set his eyes firmly on Jerusalem to the cross. Let us seek this grace in the Eucharist that is offered to us today to allow Jesus to abide in us and we in him as we continue to seek after him.